0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. Our sermon title today is Chosen by God, Part 2. Chosen by God, Part 2. The Apostle Paul writes this opening letter to the church in a city called Ephesus because he wants to encourage the Christians that are there. This city in Ephesus had a lot going on in this city. It's sort of like New York. People came there to do business. People came to Ephesus to be successful. People came to Ephesus to start business or to do commercial transactions. And so you have people from all walks of life coming to this city to do business, to make it happen. But also in this city was pagan worship. There was a pagan idol that was erected in the city, dead smack in the middle of the the city that was erected to a Roman goddess by the name of Artemis. And so people would not only do business, but they would come here and they would worship this pagan idol, this pagan god. And so the apostle Paul knows that there are Christians here who are who are a segment of the society and population there that are trying to worship the one living true God. And so they could be tempted to look outside and look at what is going on to the people doing business and looking at how the people are worshiping this false God and they could think that maybe we're not blessed because we're not worshiping how they worship. And so the Apostle Paul wants to let these Christians know how blessed they really are. And for us, whenever we need a reminder of how blessed we are. We need to look back at this passage and let our hearts and minds get drenched in the spiritual blessings that God has blessed us with in Christ, He wanted to encourage his audience that may have been discouraged by the things going on around them. They are no different than we are that sometimes when we see people in the world, people who are not serving God, we see that they are blessed and that they are prospering. They have some of the things that we would like to have and we can get discouraged in thinking that we are doing the wrong thing. And the apostle Paul wants to give them the antidote to that discontentment, which is to let them know that you are blessed. You are blessed in Christ. Christ and you have blessings that they don't have access to due to the nature of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ now here's what I want to tell you today oftentimes we can get discouraged when we see other people who are not Christians or not believers and they are serving false gods or they're they're just in the world we can get discouraged because they're getting blessed and we're not and we can tend to think what are we doing wrong but I want to let you know that don't get it twisted God reigns on the just and on the unjust just because you see somebody who's not serving God. Being blessed doesn't mean that God has made a mistake or that God doesn't know what he's doing. That is God's common grace that he pours out on all people. The only reason he's blessing them is in hopes that at some point they would turn around and acknowledge where their blessings are coming from. And so we have to take take heart and know that we are blessed in a different element. We have set aside, God has set aside for us special blessings in Christ that we have that they don't have. And so these blessings that we have are not of our own merit, not of our own doing, not of our own work, not of our own educational background, not of where we come from in our families. But the reason we are blessed is because God loved us and he initiated these blessings to believers. And the first spiritual blessing that this passage mentions that is a hard thing for Christians, Christians to grasp is that God chose us. That's hard for us to grasp because we like to think that we chose God. I heard a message one day. I got excited. I got emotional tears running down on my face. They did an altar call, and I ran to the altar, and I gave myself away. That's how I got saved. That's what I recall, but the scripture says something different, that God chose us us before the foundation of the world well doesn't that violate my free will pastor the only reason you had free will to choose god was because he chose you first he enabled you to choose him and so we were chosen by god before the foundations of the world you only chose god because he enabled you to choose him how do i know that we wouldn't choose god unless he enabled us to choose him how do i know how do i know that 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 god chose me before i chose him because dead people can't choose You'll get that later on in the coming weeks that we were dead in our sins and in our trespasses and Christ by his Holy Spirit made us alive in him. And the only reason we can choose God is because he allowed us to be alive and come to our senses and know that we had a need for a savior. That's by God's grace. Dead people don't make choices. And so for many of us, it's hard for us to grasp because we gotta think, man, well why did he choose me and he didn't choose my unsaved uncle? Or he didn't choose my unsaved brother? Or he didn't choose my unsaved sister? How come my father's not saved? How come my mom's not saved? How come that son that is wayward, how come he hasn't given his life to the Lord? Why did God choose me and not choose him? Why is that, why is that, that, that the situation? Is God unfair? No, God is not unfair and we we need to stop thinking that we want God's justice. We do not want God's justice because if God gave all of us justice, none of us would go to heaven. If God gave all of us what we deserve, all of us would be on a one-way ticket, fast track, straight to hell. Ooh, I said that in church. Can you say hell in church anymore? And so we need to realize that we don't want God's justice. We just need to be thankful for God's mercy. The reason that you're saved is because of God's mercy, not not, nothing that you did. So for us, it's not a reason for us to question God. It should be a reason to praise God, that God was overriding all of our foolishness, our past mistakes, all of the things that we've done wrong and are doing wrong, and God still chose to save you and I. And the only response that God deserves from that is praise is praise. And so even when we have failed in our faith, even when sin is apparent in our lives, the purposes of God do not go away. Our salvation is rooted in him and his sovereign choosing of you and I to come into a covenant relationship with him through his son, Jesus. And so last week, we looked at how God chose us, how God chose us. That's something that he did. Any. Eternity past. That is a past blessing of God the Father. But today we're going to take a look at two other elements. We're going to look at the work of the Son, the work of Jesus the Son, and then we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I need you to understand. If the Father plans our salvation, the Son accomplishes our salvation, and the Spirit applies our salvation. God planned, God the Father planned our salvation out, The Son comes into the world and accomplishes what the Father planned. And then the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and applies so that we can live out what God commanded us to live out. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so we want to look at the Son and how God showed his grace to us through the Son. And here's what it says in verse 7 in your Bible. Verses 7 through 8 it says, In him, in him being Jesus, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us, with all wisdom and understanding. This idea of redemption. Redemption is the payment of a ransom to reclaim something that has been taken away or is held captive. Let me say that again. Redemption deals with the payment of a ransom to reclaim something that has been taken away or something that is held captive. We've all seen the movie before where they take the rich people's son and they take him back and what do they do? The bad guys call or they leave a note somewhere saying they want $50 million or the son is dead, right? You've seen that before, right? Okay, and so this is what this is. A ransom or a redemption is reclaiming something that was that was taken away or something that was held captive. And so for us, deliverance of the ransom is by payment of a price. It is the payment of a price especially applied, hear this, especially applied to the ransoming of slaves. And so redemption is the payment of a ransom to reclaim something that has been taken away or is held captive by slavery. And a payment of a price needs to be paid in order for that which was t- taken away to be reclaimed back and so this applies to slavery and so for us this redemption rescued us from our sins from our past from our transgressions and from the darkness but many of us experience a delayed reaction to our freedom we know that the gospel saves us but unless we keep hearing the good news we won't recognize we have been free we are free but some of us are still serving on the plantation of sin and bondage some of us are free in Christ but we still live like slaves in the world. And so some of us know we're free, but we're having a delayed reaction to our freedom. Let me make it real for you. In 1863, January 1st to be exact, President Abraham Lincoln signed an executive order called the Emancipation Proclamation. Right? And here's what happened. It didn't directly free any slaves when it went into effect. But however, with the surrender of Confederate General Lee in April of 1865, he signed the order in 1863, here it is in 1865, General Lee of the Confederate Army surrenders and simultaneously or subsequently, Major General Gordon Granger landed at Galveston, Texas with the news that the war had ended and that the enslaved were now free. That holiday for many of us, is he talking about black history? It's February, I sure am. Juneteenth is the oldest known celebration commemorating the ending of slavery in the United States. Here's what I want you to notice. Note that this is two and a half years after the president Lincoln signed Emancipation Proclamation, which happened on eighteen in 1863. Two years later, the slaves were free, and they didn't even know it. And so they're free, and they don't know that they're free. They're still serving in bondage. And so for many of us, We're free, but we're still in bondage. And for many of us, freedom looks scarier than bondage. Many of us are more comfortable in the bondage and in the slavery of our sin than we are with the freedom. And so even though freedom is available and we can run right off the plantation, we would rather stay here because this is all we know. And we don't have the faith or the strength to get here and step into our freedom. Regardless of what we know about this and how we can maneuver, and maneuver our way and navigate our way around the sin This is uncertain and unknown But let me tell you this this type of bondage is not greater than the freedom over here Even if you don't know what to do when you get here The thing is when he freed us he didn't just free us to free us he freed us and gave us a purpose So when you come into your freedom, he has direction for you and tells you where to go but many of us would rather stay here because this is all we know. But can I tell you that what is over there on the side of freedom is far greater than what you have over there in bondage. Many of us just <laughs> need to walk into our freedom. The daughter of a freed slave once said this, Daddy said he was proud of freedom, but he was afraid to own it. And many of us are proud that who the sun sets free is free indeed, but we're afraid to step into it and own it. We're afraid to own it. We're afraid to own own the freedom that was purchased for us on the cross. And here's the wonderful thing about the Emancipation Proclamation. It made a promise. It promised that the United States was committed to ending slavery once and for all. It promised African-Americans in the South that under no circumstances would they be returned to slavery if the North won the war. Finally, it promised the Confederacy that there was no turning back the clock to before the war if they lost. Well, we all know, because history tells us the truth, that the North won the War and slavery is over and so our emancipation proclamation here is the gospel and here's what it rescues us from it rescues us from the curse of guilt punishment and shame and the power of sin and the just judgment of God's wrath on us and the price paid for our freedom was not lashes on a slave's back was not lashes in in the plantation not lashes on the cotton field but the price that was paid for us for our freedom was the shedding of Christ's blood when he died for our sins on the cross at Calvary and this rescue mission was not just from our sins but it also accomplished our forgiveness of the sin debt that we owed. so even if we were slaves it brought us out of slavery but it didn't stop us there it also paid off any of the debt that we may have owed in the past and so when we got free we got free for real for real so our freedom brought us off the plantation and paid us all of our debts that we might have owed the master and that's the freedom that you have in Christ. And so one of the best things about being redeemed by Christ is that we were bought by him and can't be sold back to where we were brought from. Ooh. Can you do it? Did you hear what I just said? You can't be sold back into slavery. The devil can't buy you back. He can't afford you. You were paid your price was paid with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So why are you going back to somebody that can't afford you? And this is just God's grace. We need to understand how precious the grace of God is. He didn't just show us simple grace. He gave us amazing grace. His grace abounded to us. He lavished it on us. He poured it out on us. He gave us a shopping spree on on an Amex black card that got no balance. It's got no cap on it. This is not like somebody that's rich that gives you a couple dollars to hold you over and they got to pay you back or remind you or shoot you a text, hey, by that little $200 that I gave you. No, this is not that. This is an abundant amount that is given to us beyond what we could have even thought to even ask for this ain't a loan this is a wealthy person giving you a share in the wealth that you didn't ask for you didn't work for you definitely don't deserve it because you didn't put in any work to get it but they poured it out on you because you needed it and god spared no expense to came when he came to pouring out his grace on us he held back nothing he didn't set a budget he didn't put a limit on it he didn't put a cap on it and he just poured out all of his grace on you and i that's amazing Jesus knew God knew the nature and the horror of our transgressions our trespasses better than we do and he was still wise enough to know what would be needed to compensate for our wrongdoing he knew that our sins will require the blood of his own son to cancel out our debts and Jesus still redeems us and forgives our sin so that Christ's righteousness is added to our account we have all of this grace on grace on grace and here's the wonderful thing about God In verse 8, it says, he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Don't miss that. He did it with all wisdom and understanding. That simply means this. It wasn't an accident. (laughs) That was not God's plan B. Oops, they sin. What am I going to do? That's not how God was. This was God's plan A. You see, God only has one plan, and that's plan A. You got a plan B. God don't have a plan B. God's got plan A. He only needs A because his plan always works out. God never has to have a backup plan. God doesn't need an education to fall back on in case his dreams of going to the league don't materialize. God ain't trying to get to the league. This this is God's way that he saved us through Christ, and this was his plan from the beginning of time. God meticulously planned out your salvation. Oh, what is God going to do with me now that I made a mistake? God knew you would make a mistake before you made a mistake. That should give you assurance in God. That should make you look at God and wonder, not question God, but you should look at God and wonder when you get, how did I get to this place? If you want to know the answer, how you got there, know that God has the answer, that God is not caught off guard by your situation and your circumstances. God is right there with you in the muck, in the miry. He's right there in it with you. And so God planned this out. And here's the thing, it's beautiful because it makes a difference in our lives. It makes a difference in our lives because when we think about the trials and all of the accomplishments and the difficulties as well as the joys, they are not simply a byproduct of some random cause in the universe or some energy you gave out but you got back in, something that you reap what you... No, it ain't none of that. God planned this out from the beginning of time. Whew. In verses 9 through 10 he says he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in christ as a plan for the right time here's why he did it to bring everything together in christ both things in heaven and things on earth when it says that he revealed the mystery of his will that he made it known to us that means it simply means that God reveals something to us that could not be possibly known outside of him letting us know. And here's what that does. The mystery reveals that God's ultimate purpose in redemption is to bring all things in heaven and earth together again under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The entirety of the universe, the church and the world will be subject to the Lordship of Christ. He is bringing all people groups together in unity to worship the risen Savior. He's bringing black folks together with white folks, together with Asian folks, together with Latino folks. He's bringing everybody from everywhere, from every nation, from every continent, from every tongue together to worship the risen Savior. And so for us we need to pause and think about that. Why is it that we are so afraid or we feel so unbothered or we don't have the compassion to share the good news of the gospel with people that don't look like us? Church was never meant to be a homogenous type of place. Church was meant to be a place where all types of people coming to worship together around the throne. There won't be an me church in heaven. There won't be a church of God in Christ in heaven. There won't be a Presbyterian Church of America in heaven. There won't be none of those denominational lines in heaven. Everybody will be together worshiping around the throne with the angels, crying out, holy, 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 the Lord God almighty. So why are we afraid to worship with people that don't look like us? Why are we afraid? Because that's not what heaven's going to be like. God is bringing everything and our lives together in unity to worship the risen Savior. What does that mean for us? It means that everything that is out of whack, everything that is broken, everything that is chaotic will eventually work together. There will be a union of the loved ones that were in Christ. All the saints, all the angels will worship and live together under the rule and the reign of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Everybody will bow down and worship Jesus. And what does that mean for us? That should give us the assurance that nothing that happens in our lives catches God by surprise. Nothing that happens in your life is a surprise to God. God is not turned off by. God is not repulsed by. God is not in fear of. God does not have trepidation of. Anything in your life that's going on that you didn't expect to happen. God is not intimidated by your circumstances, even though you are. So what does that mean? That means that I put my hope and my rest in Jesus. I put my hope, my rest, and my faith in the God who's planned the beginning from the end. They don't call them Alpha and Omega for no reason. He stands at the beginning and he stands at the end. Because he's God. He's everywhere. And so God knows no space and time. And so whatever you got going on in your life, whatever you're thinking about, God is not caught off guard. You just respond by worshiping him. You respond and take rest and take peace and pleasure and joy in knowing that God planned my beginning from my end. Even in my mistakes, God is not caught off guard. This is beautiful. I need you to see the beauty in having a God that is sovereign. That is sovereign over all. Like nothing you can get yourself into, God can't get you out of. That's not to say you go get in it. That's just to say if you find yourself in a place, God's grace is sufficient. We have to know that. That grace is amazing. But God is so good because, just like an infomercial at one o'clock at night, wait, there's more. God the Father, to recap, God the Father has blessed us in Christ by choosing us. He gives us a purpose to be holy and blameless. He predetermined to adopt us as sons and daughters in Christ. And then the son comes in with his bad self and he redeems us by the shedding of his blood, which then accomplishes our forgiveness of our sins. And God did all of this to the praise of his glorious grace so that all things in heaven and on earth will be brought under the lordship of Christ. And now we must look at the third member of the Trinity, the work of of the Holy Spirit I told you before that if the father planned our salvation the son accomplishes our salvation and then the Holy Spirit applies our salvation how can I live out the life God has called me to by the Holy Spirit He's given us this great third person of the Trinity, this blessing to us, this gift called the Holy Spirit. And here's what happens. God doesn't just buy us back from slavery and then adopt us to make us the adopted child that's just happy to have a stable home to grow up in. But here's what God does. He treats us like his natural children. He leaves us with an inheritance. But instead of us waiting to get the full inheritance at a later date, he gives us a foretaste of it in the here and now. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And I want want you to read verses 11 through 14, verses 11 through 14. I think it should be on the screen. Here's what it's going to say. It says, in him, I know you to notice something, in him we also have an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Verse 13, in him, here's what it says, you, notice he went from we to you, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and when you believe. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Let me break this down to you. Verses 11 through 12, real simple. He's talking to Jewish believers. Verses 13 through 14, he's talking to Gentile believers. And what happens is the Holy Spirit is a unifying force that unites both Jew and Gentile together and makes them one. Your brothers and sisters in Christ that don't look like you, that have a different hue of skin, they're your brothers and sisters because Christ has united us. The Holy Spirit is the unifying force that makes us the body of Christ. And neither group, here's the wonderful thing you need to know, neither group did anything in particular for God to save them. Their being chosen by God was based on his mercy, not their merit. You being saved is not based on your merit, but it's based on God's mercy. That's why we're saved. And so I I need to... I need to give you this, give you this, this, this more, paint a a broader picture. Here's what the spirit does. Romans chapter eight, verses 16 through 17. Romans eight, 16 through 17 says this for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, guess what? We are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Here's the caveat. Here's what I want you to pay attention to. Here's what the prosperity preacher doesn't tell you. But if we are to share his glory, what else? We must also share his what? Ooh. They didn't tell me that part. They just told me God wanted to bless me so that I could be a blessing. They just told me that if I sew it and throw it, I'd be blessed. They told me if I spin around seven times and run around the church, supernatural breakthroughs going to happen in 30 days. That's what they told me. They didn't tell me this other caveat about if I want to share in God's glory, I also must share in his sufferings. That's just letting us know that life will be difficult at times. And for most of us, if we're being honest, life is difficult most of the time. <laughs> Depending on how you grew up, <laughs> where you grew up at but we must suffer with Christ. We get all of the blessings of Christ. We get peace, we get joy, we get love, we get hope. We get all of these wonderful things but then we get hard times. Life does not just go around us because we're Christians. But matter of fact, it meets us head on. And that's how we know how true our faith is. Don't tell me you love Jesus unless you get disappointed and you still love him. Don't tell me you love Jesus until you got a plan, the perfect plan and the perfect plan don't work out and you still gotta be a Christian see that ain't real faith when you just everything's going good I gotta he like me I like him this is wonderful this is great but no he don't even like me no more he stopped calling me he broke up with me I saw him with another girl I don't know what's happening I'm leaving Jesus no 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 he left me that must mean God didn't want to for me I'm gonna stay right here with this broken heart I'm gonna worship Jesus I'm gonna love Jesus I'm gonna keep serving I'm gonna keep living I'm gonna wait for what God has for me is mine that's real faith don't tell me you blessed until you're blessed when you're going through a mess. He saved us, but here's the beautiful thing. He saved us, but once he saved us, he did something to ensure that we would remain saved. God knows his kids. He knows his kids crazy. So when he saved us, he did something to make sure that we would remain saved. That, we would, that he would ensure that our inheritance was, that was promised to us would remain with us. And here's what it says in verse 13, key word, in him you were also sealed with the Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believe. Let me give this to you. An owner of something in the ancient world would mark his possessions by attaching a seal to it. He would put a seal on it to show his ownership. Boom, this is my My name, my date, my company, whatever it is, boom. This is my possession. Nobody can take it because it has my name on it. It's, It's sealed. That's for ownership. But then the other caveat of being sealed was the authenticity of the thing that was owned. This saying this is authentic. This is real. This is the real thing because it has the stamp on it. It has the mark on it. And so here's what happens. When we get saved, God tags us and leaves his mark on our hearts. How do I know somebody's a Christian because they exhibit fruit of the Spirit? They show some peace, some patience, some long suffering. Depending on what day it is, some joy, some some compassion. They they show some 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 they exhibit some some um some characteristics of the Spirit of God. They they show some fruit. But if you say meet somebody that's a believer and they say they love Jesus and they don't bear no fruit, they can't hold their tongue out one day out of the week they curse every day, they stay in sin, ain't never out of it, they've relegated their lives to just being, this is my issue, and you don't see the work of the spirit in their lives making some changes to their lives, because the truth of the matter is, if you've been saved, you've been saved, it don't mean perfect, but it does mean progress, Don't mean perfect, but it does mean progress. And so he tags us with with the seal, and here's what happens. It says when you heard the the, the truth of the gospel and believed it, what it means is it means trusting in Christ for our salvation. And at that moment, we were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, Pastor. Hold up. You're going too far. I grew up, and they told me that if I don't have evidence of speaking in tongues, then I ain't got the Holy Spirit. Ooh. They told me if I don't get baptized, then I ain't got the Holy Spirit. What you mean the moment of salvation? They told me that I had to come down to the altar for a tarrying service and they had to say, Jesus, 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 for me to have the Holy Spirit. They told me unless the bishop lays his hand on me, I don't have the Holy Spirit. So what you talking about, Willis? The moment you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and you sense your need for a savior, you realize I am a wretched sinner and I can't save myself my work ain't good enough I've been trying to do this on my own and I'm still in this mess I can't get myself out of this situation I'm so far down I don't know which way is up I know that I am a sinner in need of God's grace and his mercy but I heard this message that there's a man named Jesus that came to earth that lived the life that I could not live and died the death that I deserve to die and then God resurrected him from the grave on the third day I want to put my trust and my hope in this Savior Jesus that I'm hearing about. And I'm surrendering my life. I'm surrendering this sex, this alcohol, this drugs, this anxiety, this depression. All of these things I'm surrendering to him. And I'm giving my life to this Savior. At that moment when you recognize your need for Christ and you surrender to his lordship and the finished work that he did on the cross, you've got the Holy Spirit at that moment. Now, when you go tell your grandmother, I have nothing to do with when she throws her shoe at you. But God puts that on us. And what he's saying with the Holy Spirit is, you're mine and I'm yours. You belong to me and I belong to you. This is our covenant relationship. And it serves, the Holy Spirit also serves as a deposit. Here's what it says in verse 14. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory I'm gonna read that again the Holy Spirit hear this is the down payment of our inheritance unto the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory let me give that to you some of us grew up in particular circumstances and so back when close to Christmas time you tell your mom you want something They had this program out at certain stores called Layaway. (laughs) And if y'all ain't have no money, you put it on Layaway. Hopefully, we come up with the money before Christmas. Or we're going to have to make up a lot to tell the kids that Santa Claus got the wrong address. And possibly, if you don't come up with the money, the outfit that you bought, you might be outgrowing it by now. Or you might not even remember that you wanted a red bike. Because that bike is out of style now, but it's so late in the game that you're just now getting it off of layaway. That ain't what he's talking about, though. He's talking about a down payment. It's, it's a foretaste. It's a foretaste. It's like, hmm, when you go to your restaurant, it's like, it's like the calamari that they bring out when you first get to the table. It's like the little shrimp cocktails that they give you. It's like my personal favorite, the spinach and artichoke dip. I, lo- I love it. I love it. Oh, It's like the, the, the warm bread and the soft butter that they oh yes that they bring out. Oh, it's like the side salad with extra ranch dressing <laughs> before the main meal. And really what it is is just an indication to you and I that something bigger is coming. It's an indication that something better is coming. It's an indication of something more savory that is coming. It's an indication that something more flavorful is coming. It's an indication that something more feeling is coming. That's just an appetizer. But you know because of the appetizer that at some point the filet mignon is coming out. The, the pan seared tilapia is coming right behind it. Or, or for Eric, the chicken marsala is coming out pretty soon. And so it's just a foretaste of what is to come. The peace, the joy, the love, the patience that you experience now by product of the Holy Spirit is little but of a shadow of what God is going to do when he comes in the new heaven and the new earth. This is just a taste. It's just a taste. And he says, along with this seal, the Holy Spirit serves as a guarantee of our inheritance. Back in those days, a person put down a deposit on a possession. And all the deposit does is signals that this is mine, and it's also an indication that the completion of the payment is coming soon. I put a down payment, I'm coming back with the rest of the money later, whether it's 20%, Ten percent whatever it is I put a down payment this mine you can't sell this to nobody else this is mine I'm letting you know that's my property nobody else can buy it I'm coming with the down payment later on and I'm gonna pay it in full and he gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment or the deposit of our salvation and it secures and lets us know that all will be paid in full later it is a security that no one else can take the possession of the property I just put a down payment on it. security that that says it's mine and no one else, no devil in hell, can stake claim to my son or my daughter because I put a deposit on them. Nobody can take it away from me, and I'm coming back to get them later. <laughs> you know what this is called in theological circles? It's called eternal security, more commonly known as once saved always saved Whew. pastor i'm sorry you i'm still stuck on the holy spirit um you're doing too much right now so you're telling me number one i don't have to shook a shook speaking tongues in order to have the holy spirit that's number one that's messing me up and then num- number two you also telling me that when they told me that if i do something wrong i might lose my salvation and i might go to hell yeah, because the Bible says that once you're in him, nobody can take you out. Yeah. You can't make a mistake too big enough, too big for God. You can't find yourself too, too, too big or too hard that God can't get you out of the situation. That you belong to him when he puts his seal on you. You can't go nowhere else. You might try and run, but you ain't running far. The seal ensures that you're coming right back home. You might be gone for a month or two or three or six, however long you decide to be tripping, but if you got that on the inside of you, you ain't leaving for too long. You coming back home, you know where home is. You might find your way down a dark alley and you might not have directions, but the Holy Spirit, MapQuest, GPS, whatever you want to call it, he's gonna direct you right back to your home base when you come back to the Father and he's waiting for you whenever you come back from your season of tripping and he ain't gonna get on you, he's not gonna punish you, he's not gonna chastise you, he's just gonna say welcome back home son and daughter that's eternal security but 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 you don't believe me so, so I'm gonna let Jesus speak to you Jesus said John chapter 10 verse 27 and 30 here's what Jesus said my sheep hear my voice I know them and they follow me I give them eternal life and they will never perish ever No one will snatch them out of my hand. And if my hand ain't bad enough, my Father who has given to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand because the Father and I are one. So if the devil thinks he's bad enough to take it out of Jesus' hand, he can't because the Father's hand is on top of his hand. So if you are in Christ, there's nothing that can steal your salvation away. The question is, are you saved? (laughs) <laughs> That's the real question. It's not can you lose your salvation, but have you gained it? Or have you been have it been given it to have you received it? no difficult thing can take us away from God. Job loss, breakup, divorce, sickness, heartbreak, depression, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I need you to hear that today. No matter what mistakes you've made, you cannot be separated from the love of God. You cannot be separated from the love of God. You cannot be separated from the love of God. Your mistakes cannot separate you from the love of God. And here's My last scripture, Romans 8, verses 37 through 39. It says, Know in all these things. Whenever you get discouraged, I want you to read this. Know in all these things, we are more victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. That not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, your mama, your daddy, your cousin, your auntie, whoever, height or death or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whew. That's a beautiful message of assurance. Oh, that should do your heart so well. That, ooh, my salvation is not dependent upon me. Oh, if we would only rest in that, that we would stop trying to be do-gooders. That we would just rest in the joy and peace peace of Jesus. That nothing that we're experiencing now can separate us from him. Nothing. Does God love me? Yes, yes. Yes, he does. Is is God going to punish me? No, no, he's not. Is God out to get me? No, he he loves you. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of the Father. God the Father ain't like your natural daddy. He ain't kicking you out of the house. He's not going to disown you, He's not going to leave you out of His will. You haven't, even if your natural daddy is broke, you got a rich spiritual daddy. Amen. Oh, that's good. All of these blessings are ours in Christ Jesus. You might, be thinking, you might think you're blessed by your house and your car, and you might think that you're going to be blessed when you get the six-figure, seven-figure job. you more blessed now than you will ever be. That's real. But they told me if I just be determined and I just create the world with my words and if I just think positive thoughts and I stay around positive people and I cast out all negativity from around me, if I just get away from negative energy that my life will be this wonderful thing. I've never seen that in scripture. You can't get rid of negative energy when Satan is in the world. You gonna avoid other sinners the rest of your, whole, of your whole life? Get away this negative energy away from me. How? Where you gonna go? Heaven, you gonna die? Today, for real? Now? What kind of nonsense is that? Y'all be posting it, no negative energy, hashtag positivity, hashtag Get out of my life. <laughs> Ooh, Y'all got to stop listening to the gospel of Instagram. <laughs> no, you go into that negativity and you shine the light of the gospel on it. So that what's negative can now be positive or it can be redeemed in Christ. I'm staying away from positivity. No, you walk into that negative, you walk into the negativity and you get right down in the mess like Jesus got into your negativity. Yes. He didn't say, I'm going to stay in heaven, Father, and <laughs> get away from all of that negative energy. No, he said, Daddy, send me. I'm getting right down into this negativity. I'm getting right down into this <laughs> junk, this gossip, this backstabbing, this sexual immorality, this lying, this stealing, this cheating. I'm going to stay right here until I redeem it all. That's the kind of God we serve. (laughs) The gospel ain't afraid of your co-worker. (laughs) What's wrong with you? But we have all of these blessings in Christ. God's sovereign election of the saints, his adoption of us as sons and daughters, the redemption and forgiveness from sin through Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the eternal security are all found in Jesus. Why would he do this for me, Pastor? And I'll leave you with this. He did it because he loved you, and he did it so that you would praise him. He did it so you would praise him. He did it so that you wouldn't be ashamed to praise him. He did it so when you wake up in the morning, you will recognize how blessed you are that you being blessed is not predicated upon what's happening in your existential circumstances when you wake up in the morning, but that you are blessed in Christ. You have everything that you need, and all things are working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It all starts with his will, starts with his will, and ends with his glory. We're only here for the glory of God, that he would be lifted up, Before all men, Jesus is the reason that we've been chosen. In him, we've been chosen. In him, we're loved by God. So if you want to be blessed, you must be in Christ. But take heart, brothers and sisters, in knowing that if you are in Christ, that if you are in Christ, I said in Christ. I didn't say in the world, I said in Christ. You've been chosen by God.